WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 29th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mix of sun and clouds today. Going to be cold. The high just 39. Tonight and overnight, mostly clear, low 34. And then Thursday, sunshine, warmer, high 51. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 28 clear in Malvern out on Long Island. 27 and clear in Belleville down in New Jersey. And it is 28 and clear here in Midtown outside our studios. I drove in this morning to the garage that we park our cars in here near the radio station, and I've gotten to know these guys who work the overnight hours well over the last year. And it is a closed garage. I mean, it's open most times, but in the middle of the night, they have the garage door down. So they pull, I ring a bell, and then they pull the garage door open, and I, you know, pull the car in. That's normally how it works. So they pull the, I pull up, I ring the doorbell, the garage door opens, and there's a car blocking me from going into the garage. It's a little strange. I thought maybe the guy's like, on the overnight detailing his car. Who knows? He's got lots of time to kill. So he gets into the car and he pulls it back and I pull the car in and I'm, and I, I ask him, I said, what, what's up with that? Are you working on your car? And he goes, no, this is how bad it's gotten. He said, I now have to park a car right inside the door. So now the door's closed, right? But he has to park a door, a car inside the garage that would block any car from coming in or out of the garage because Recently, at one of their other garages, someone pulled in in the middle of the night, like I do. They got out of their car, and there was four other people in the car, and they raced in, and they stole six cars. And, of course, the person who was working the garage, you know, they're helpless, and they're not going to try to stop this guy because they don't know if they have guns or whatever. And they stole six really, the most six most expensive cars in the garage. So now their new technique to try and stop that is put a car right next to the door. So when you open the door, you know, maybe they'll think twice about trying to get in because they know they have to get around that car. I don't know that that's going to stop them, but that's how bad it's gotten. I was like, wow, okay, sorry to hear that. It's just bad. And by the way, my garage is exactly across the street from a police precinct. I mean, you can't get any closer. So (laughs) the times we are living in. Did you watch any of the uh, funeral yesterday for Rosalind Carter down in Georgia? I kind of like these moments and maybe you're not one of those people, but I kind of like these moments when they bring all the ex-presidents or in this case, all the former first ladies together because it so rarely happens that they're all in the same room. And so a nice moment. You had uh, Laura Bush, you had um, Hillary Clinton and then Michelle Obama and Melania Trump all in the same room, all in the front row at uh, Rosalind Carter's funeral yesterday. Uh, her son, uh, Chip, was one of the people who spoke during, uh, there was a lot of eulogies. Here was one. My mother was the glue that held our family together through the ups and downs and thicks and thins of our family's politics. Wasn't it Chip Carter who smoked pot with Willie Nelson in the White House? Wasn't that the story? I think it was Jimmy Carter who said, yeah, it was his son Chip who smoked pot with Willie Nelson. Uh, also on hand, uh, of course, all the grandkids were there. And then Jimmy Carter was there. 
And while it might have been a little tough to look at him because he just, you know, doesn't look like the same man that we knew. It was clear that he was the one who told them that he wanted to be there. So they pushed him in in a wheelchair. He was wearing a blanket that had the Carter name on it. That, as uh, his son spoke, uh, I thought very nicely. She told me something that I have used a thousand times since. She said, Chip. You can do anything for 20 minutes except hold your breath. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jason Carter, one of the Carter grandsons, he spoke out as well. We have been so enormously gratified by the love and support that we have felt from across the world. Uh, my grandmother doesn't need a eulogy. Her life was a sermon. Put them on the kiss cam. <laughs> and just like today, I mean, people were crying at the Braves game, you know. Yeah, so uh, Jimmy was there. Uh, Judy Woodruff, who is uh, the former head of the PBS NewsHour, she had a very close relationship with Rosalind. She talked about how it was tough in the beginning, though, to get to know the first lady. There was always something genuine about Mrs. Carter, a groundedness and a quiet self-assurance, despite what she later wrote about her early struggles with public speaking. It may have taken about 40 years for that to happen. But it had by the time she invited me to attend a luncheon in Washington where she was receiving an award for her work on caregiving. Yeah, so anyway, uh, passing away at 96. Today they'll have a private burial for the former first lady. Okay, and it's cold outside and it's almost winter, so this is not a shocking story. But about 100 million people across the East Coast are feeling the freezing temperatures this morning. Or, you know, right outside our studio, it's just 28 degrees. But, you know, it's not like it comes every year at the same time. It does. Um, the National Weather Service, though, says high temperatures expected to be as much as 20 degrees below average in parts of the Midwest, uh, the Great Lakes, Ohio Valley, parts of Texas. Texas and Florida, uh, they may not even hit 70 today, which is a big deal for them. Everybody throws their jackets on. Up and down the East Coast and stretching west to Chicago, parts of the country seeing temperatures 10 to 20 degrees below average today. Meteorologists with the National Weather Service. So that'll be the big story of the day today for weather-wise. Uh, just, well, it's going to be cold. Most of you can breathe a sigh of relief. According to Flight Tracker, Flight Aware, so far what we've seen does not show many cancellations tied to U.S. airports so far today. Yeah, all right. I, I just checked. Uh, now everything seems to be going pretty well so far at the airport, so the cold weather not affecting that. Uh, talking with people up in Syracuse, they're already getting snow. People in Ohio are already getting snow. Uh, we only got, what did we get, like an inch last summer, last winter, right? I mean, we got almost no snow last winter. Uh, the Farmer's Almanac, which you know, I think is kind of nonsense, but it says we're going to get a lot of snow. Forecasters say no, probably not. So we'll have to, I guess we'll wait and see. But cold one today. WABC News Time 509. We've been watching this story over the last 40 minutes or so. Got more details in a U.S. military aircraft with eight personnel on board crashing off the Yakushima Island in Japan. Rescue workers say they have found one passenger who they said was not breathing. Local media outlets in Japan say the remains of the planes uh, have started to float up. It w- was a CV-22 Osprey. 
that was set to land at Yakushima Airport. We don't have a whole lot more, except that eight people were on board. The Coast Guard apparently received a distress call seven minutes after it took off. Of course, as more details come in to the, on, on that crash, we will pass that on to you. Uh, 510, uh, in Israel, the government receiving a list of 10 hostages to be released by Hamas. It's expected it'll be noon our time, 7 o'clock Israel time. Their return will mark the sixth daily hostage release since the ceasefire agreement with the terror group went into effect back on November 24th. The hostage families who will be released today have been notified a total of 60 Israeli women and children plus one Israeli man have been freed over the course of the initial four-day ceasefire and the first day of the extension. That was yesterday. Uh, 17 people from Thailand and one from Philo- uh, the Philippines has been released. And then Hamas uh, on Monday agreed to release 10 hostages per day as part of this cutter broker extension, which could last up to six days total. Before the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces say they will begin their terror, their war operation again against the terror group. So they have, they say, until Sunday to release more hostages. And apparently Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, says the war will begin come Sunday again, no matter what is taking place. That is, we've been hearing from some of the hostage families of four-year-old Abigail Edan. She's the only American that has been released so far just four years old her family talking about how happy they are to have her home but how badly they feel for the rest of the hostage families who are still waiting for that moment to happen to them you know as long as there are people in hamas captivity young women who shouldn't be there for another moment grandparents fathers sons daughters it's our work is not done. So part of this deal, of course, is uh, every time a hostages release, Israelis release three prisoners uh, behind bars in Israel. All so far have been women and minors. Uh, the hostage families say they hope this continues. What I want people to understand is that these are real people. Abigail is a little girl. It could be anybody's little girl. Liz Hirsch-Naftali, she's the great aunt of Abigail Eden, and she says it's going to take a while for that four-year-old to open up and process all that she went through when she was hidden, they think, in a tunnel for, what, 47 days. There wasn't proper food for a child. Um, so what we know is that she, she was in the dark. They weren't in a place where they were able to run free, and they were hostages. She came out, she was hungry. She, the food, there was not enough food. There wasn't proper food for a child. Um, So what we know is that she, she was in the dark. They weren't in a place where they were able to run free, and they were hostages yeah uh you know in some ways you think well the four-year-old may have the easiest time processing it because she may not remember so much of it but we don't know if that'll be true uh but my tiktok of course it, the algorithm has figured me out and is giving me all these reunion videos of israeli hostages being reunited with their families which is nice to watch but they're still 160 being held today the uh, pentagon says missiles fired from a rebel-controlled area of Yemen in the direction of a Navy warship were apparently not intended for that vessel. Uh, I can't speak for what the intended target was, 
uh, and, and would have to refer you to the, the Houthi rebels to talk to that. That's the Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder holding a briefing yesterday. Says the U.S. would do whatever is necessary to protect its forces, but wouldn't forecast any specific strikes in the aftermath of that one. There was at least one missile fired. Uh, the Mason and the Central Park were not the intended targets. Yes, yeah, so the missile landed near the USS Mason in a commercial tanker, but the Pentagon assessed that they weren't singled out in this uh, attack. Or, when it comes, I guess it wasn't an attack. To our forces, as I highlighted, we're going to do whatever we need to do to ensure that they stay protected. Yeah. All right, five fourteen. Congressman Ronnie Jackson calling on President Biden to get a cognitive test or drop out of the race for the White House. You know, look at what's going on right now domestically. I mean, what he's done to our country, and he's not in control. He does not know what's going on. So the Texas Republican is the former White House physician who gave President Trump perfect health scores. He says he doesn't like what he sees, at least from afar anyway. It's an embarrassment. It's a joke. It's it's, it's scary. And Jackson says he worries at age 81, President Biden's mental health could only go downhill from here. I'm not making a diagnosis, but I'm saying he has a cognitive issue related to his age. Yeah, so he says he's concerned something could be wrong. So a lot of Americans feel that way, of course, as well. All right, well, in a moment, we'll get into Nikki Haley. It was a big day for her. But first, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk, where we find Justin L. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Noam Aleno. Start here on the hardwood. It was a 2-0 night for our local team. Both the Knicks and the Nets emerging victorious in their respective NBA in-season tournament group play stage contests. At the Garden, Julius Randle had 25 points and 20 rebounds. R.J. Barrett scored 16 points, and the Knicks advanced to the knockout stage with a 115-91 to victory over the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, the Knicks missed their chance to win Group B when the Bucks beat the Miami Heat to finish unbeaten in pool play. But uh, New York did take the wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference by tiebreaker because of their point differential in the preliminary round. And now next Tuesday, they'll meet the East number one seed in those aforementioned Milwaukee Bucks. In Brooklyn, Spencer Dinwiddie scored 23 points to lead the Brooklyn Nets to a 115-103 win over the Toronto Raptors to win their third straight, but they were unfortunately knocked out of the NBA in-season tournament in the process. Brooklyn entered the last day of tournament group play, uh, needing to win by at least 15 points. And for the Celtics to beat Chicago by less than 21 in order to clinch Group C and advance to the knockout round of the inaugural tournament. Clearly, they were unable to do so, and making last night's win a bittersweet one for Brooklyn. Also out of the NBA, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban has agreed to sell a majority stake in the NBA franchise uh, to Miriam Adelson, the wife of late casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, at a valuation of approximately $3.5 billion. Cuban will retain a minority stake in the team and also still preside over basketball operations, so he's physically not going anywhere. Uh, he bought the team for $285 million in 2000, quite the profit. Oh, my God. Yeah. What's going on? He's leaving Shark Tank. Now he's, uh, well, he's not totally separating himself from the basketball team, but do we know any more about what's happening? Maybe he's cashing out. No. That's, right. what, that's what I would do if I was Mark Cuban. Yeah. Go disappear somewhere. But apparently not. He's still going to be around the team and be uh, president of the basketball operation. So we'll see how it goes uh, forward. But, uh, yeah, I would think if I were him, I would start to uh, liquidize, if you will. (laughs) And he made a nice profit on that one. (laughs) If that's the right word. I'm not a finance expert. Uh, I'm sure it's not the right word. (laughs)
<laughs> on the ice in uh, Newark, the Devils and Islanders met head to head in a nail biter with New Jersey, ultimately prevailing by a final score of five to four. Uh, New York led four to two entering the third before Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer scored to tie it. Then it was Curtis Lazar who scored the winning goal with 23 seconds left to complete the three goal comeback by the Devils in the third period. Tonight, the Rangers will be back on the ice at home, getting set to welcome in the Detroit Red Wings for a 7.30 p.m. puck drop at the Garden. No, that's sports, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 520. Let's go down to South Carolina. Republicans who hate Donald Trump see Nikki Haley as the last person who can stop him. Of course, all the polls show Donald Trump running away in the primaries, but the primaries haven't begun yet. So she's picking up a big, big endorsement from a Republican super PAC, the political action network financed largely by the Koch uh, brother, uh, Charles Koch, has endorsed the former South Carolina governor's bid for the White House. It is seen as a major boost to Haley's campaign as a viable Republican alternative to Trump. In its endorsement, the group Americans for Prosperity Action say Haley has what it takes to lead a policy agenda to take on the nation's biggest challenges. But really what they're saying is they think she's the best alternative to Donald Trump. And they're asking other Republicans to get behind her so they can stop Donald Trump, which may or may not be able to happen at this point. Down to Texas, attorneys for the state of Texas defending a near total ban on abortions. The United States Supreme Court returned the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. In Texas, those representatives have chosen to highly value the lives of unborn children. Hmm, that hearing sounds like it was underwater. Assistant Attorney General Beth Klusman telling the Texas Supreme Court yesterday that opponents of this law need to elect new lawmakers if they want to change it. A group of doctors is suing the state over the rules which allows abortions only if a mother's life is in danger. They say the language is too vague. Now the question is, do I play this bite? Will it sound as horrible as the last one? They are allowed to use oh, apparently it does. judgment, which is presumably the judgment they use when treating a patient in any given circumstance. Okay. Uh, the Assistant Attorney General Beth Klusman told the Texas Supreme Court that doctors use their discretion in tricky cases all the time, and abortion is no different, but they say they want clear messaging from the state. Illegal immigration is spiking someplace other than Texas. The cartels apparently moving migrants to southern Arizona, where the Border Patrol says they're now catching 2,500 people a day. Cartels are sophisticated and organized enough to control the entire uh, human smuggling movement. Professor Gary Hale there at Rice University says the smugglers are likely moving people to areas where there's less security. Last week, the Tucson sector set a new record with more than 15,000 encounters. California's San Diego sector also experienced a sharp rise of migrant encounters in recent months. Sometimes cartels have uh, agreements between them. So as long as you pay the crossing fee, then you can cross the people you brought through there. And that professor saying the cartel is likely entering into business agreements to move people through different routes to get them into the U.S. Because uh, you can't cross anything either direction without paying a fee, regardless of who you are. President Biden says he wants to help sanctuary cities like us, New York and Chicago, that are struggling to house 
migrants that had been bussed in from Texas, but a proposed policy that would keep migrants on the border until their court date is not sitting well with the GOP. We don't need a remain in Texas policy. We need a remain in Mexico policy. We need to go back to the policies of the previous administration that were working. That's Congressman Austin Fluger. He's one of 25 Texas Republicans who've filed a bill to prevent the policy from being put in place. It's even opposed by democratically controlled West Texas border town of El Paso, which has really been struggling to keep up with the demand of housing migrants who get across the border. President Biden's remain in Texas policy must remain in the trash can. They don't mind the border crisis as long as it stays far away from their blue state. 524. The 41 trap construction workers in a collapsed tunnel in the Himalayas, they're now all safe. NBC News' Megan Fitzgerald says they're working on an infrastructure project now. These crews are working on this massive project aimed at connecting various sites together through uh, this network of roads. But a landslide caused a portion of the nearly three-mile-long tunnel to collapse. Yeah, these Indian Indian, uh, workers were in this tunnel for weeks. The low-wage workers... Uh, from some of the country's poorest areas were trapped for 17 days. The tunnel originally caved in on November 12th. The men were pulled out on stretchers through a three-foot-wide steel pipe over the last couple of days. The rescue crews worked throughout the night manually digging through rocks and debris using handheld drills to try and reach these trapped workers. These guys survived off of food, water, and oxygen that was supplied through this narrow steel pipe. Yeah, amazing that they're all okay. Let's go down to Florida, where the iguana population apparently is totally out of control. If you've been to Florida recently and any you, you see them, I mean, it is out of control. They're everywhere. They're a little frightening if you're an East Coaster who's not used to seeing them on a regular basis. They're kind of creepy looking animals. So now uh, in South Miami-Dade County, they're proposing a $700,000 contract for iguana control services. Uh, because it's so overwhelming and they say these iguanas uh they eat uh all kinds of, of important vegetation uh they defecate in your yard which is holding not a whole lot of fund and they're just frightening i guess you could have an auto accident if there's a large iguana in the middle of a highway you know they can get four feet long and that's a pretty big animal that you probably don't want to run over with your car it could cause you to have an accident i suppose they're just kind of an overall nuisance to people really so here's part of the problem is the iguanas are protected by animal cruelty laws so they have to be exterminated humanely so they got to figure out a way to do that things like iguanas or other lizards or non native snakes that you might have that you tire of or turtles, they can help you find a home for it. So don't release it and be a responsible pet owner is my message. You know, last time I was there, we came out of our Airbnb and they were outside our house. They're huge animals. It really is. Again, it's not like a squirrel. It's you know a little more frightening. 526, home prices. They're on the rise for the eighth straight month. The latest S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller National Home Price Index shows prices were nearly 4% higher in this past September compared with September of a year ago. Prices continue to rise even as 30-year fixed mortgage rates approached 8%. Leading the way among the top metro markets with an annual increase of more than 6% were Detroit, San Diego, and New York. I'm Scott Carr. All right, the opening bell rings this morning on Wall Street after stocks closed higher yesterday. Stocks resumed their November rally after a Federal Reserve official signaled the central bank may be done raising interest rates. So at the yesterday's closing bell, the Dow rose 83 points. S&P 500 added four. The Nasdaq rose 40 points. Talk Radio 77. WABC. 
It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 29th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center will see a mix of sun and clouds today. High 39. Tonight and overnight, mostly clear, low 34. And then Thursday, sunshine, a whole lot warmer, high 51. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 28 and clear in Malvern out on Long Island, 27 and clear in Belleville down in New Jersey, and it is 27 and clear outside our Midtown studios. So uh, we'll start this half hour in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with a story that's breaking overnight. At least 15 people, including a number of children injured in a fire inside a row house in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Firefighters say this blaze broke out on Covert Street. This was right around midnight. Video shows crews and trucks lining the street as firefighters battle these flames on the second floor of the building. There's no word on the extent of the damage, the cause of the fire. We don't have the details of that. And the extent of the injuries, 15 injured, we do not have that as well. Of course, as that information comes into us, we'll pass that on to you. History made yesterday after the first transatlantic commercial flight powered by 100 percent sustainable aviation fuel landed at JFK here in the city. It was a Virgin Atlantic Boeing 787 passenger jet that left Heathrow in London on Tuesday morning, landed in New York without using any fossil fuels. Instead, it ran on 70 tons of fuel made mostly from waste cooking oils and animal fat. Virgin founder Richard Branson was aboard this flight. He uh, made all the tickets free for the 787, just knowing that, well, they thought the plane would make it here, and it did. Uh, The plane was full of government officials, engineers, and journalists. I was looking around at people's faces as we were taking off uh, I definitely saw a few white faces. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Branson now throwing this huge party in Midtown at his hotel last night to celebrate that flight. It served as a demonstration carrying scientists in the media to show that they could use this animal fat and cooking oils to power a flight. Here's one of the scientists who worked on this sustain- uh, subs- uh, this aviation fuel. Let's see if we can get that right. But made from uh, all stuff that is organic. The world didn't know a lot about sustainable aviation fuel until today. And right. everybody's talking about it. Yeah, that uh, scientist pretty excited to be part of this mission. The point was to show that it's safe to do so, that the engines can tolerate it, that the plane can fly um, as it's meant to do, uh, and it's not being done at this scale with such a large plane. So now the question is, can they produce this at a larger scale to fuel other jets just in their fleet or around the world? They're still trying to sort of sort that out, but applauding the fact that they were able to get that done yesterday, flight from Heathrow to New York landing safely. The NYPD preparing for potential protests during the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting tonight. Pro-Palestinian organizers are calling for supporters to flood the tree lighting in support of Gaza. The advisory comes in the wake of that disruption by demonstrators during last week's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Those pro-Palestinian protesters, you may have seen this, they glued their hands to the parade route and forced the parade continue around them. Uh, 30 protesters who jumped the barricades in that case were given tickets for trespassing. Four were actually charged 
criminally for resisting arrest and disorderly conduct. The tree lighting going to go on. It's an all-night event. Do you remember there was a time where they did this from like 7 to 8 p.m. and then at 8 o'clock they lit the tree? They won't light the tree until 10 o'clock tonight. This is a whole night of you know music and celebration. And um, then the question is, how to get to the tree after they light it. I mean, in the weeks afterwards, it is one of the most visited sites in the city. It can be really packed. Uh, here's a tour guide who says this is the best way to visit the tree. Well, first of all, he says off hours, which means any time after 9 o'clock is always better. Um, like six and between 6 and 9 are sometimes the worst hours. But here's this tour guide talking about if you want to take the family to the Christmas tree, best way to see it. Generally, what I tell folks... Instead of coming in from like the Fifth Avenue side where it just gets crazy, especially with the Saks Light Show, I found that it's much easier to come in from the Sixth Avenue side and just wander in along one of the side streets. And then that gets you pretty close up to the tree where you can see some uh, good views of it without as much traffic. Yeah, I think some of the fun of it is being among the crowds. I know some of you probably hate that, but I think the great part about Christmas time in the city is jostling with those crowds who are trying to see the Christmas tree. And of course, cross streets, Saks Fifth Avenue lights and windows, Bloomingdale's uh, downtown at Macy's. It's a great time of year to be here in the city. WABC News Time 539, a shooting on the subway last night. This is about five. 40 in bed sty it was at the ralph avenue stop a c train uh two teenagers aboard this train uh get into some sort of fight one pulls out a gun he shoots the 17 year old in the hand the bullet goes through that 17 year old's hand and hits a 40 year old man who had nothing to do with this dispute in the foot uh thankfully both of them are going to be okay the gunman well he's still on the loose very sad that you know this is happening especially during rush hour time people are coming home from work there's kids that's leaving after school programs and their families are taking them on the train to get you know to their several destinations so you know just to see anything like that happen could be traumatizing to young kids the gunman left the train at ralph avenue where there is a deli right outside this train station that has really good surveillance cameras so cops have been looking through that, trying to identify him, but so far have not been able to find him. Meanwhile, strap hangers are saying they're just tired of the violence. I'm sick of the MTA downplaying the crisis in the subway system. They're saying it's safe right now. If this does not scream a crisis in the subway system, a safety crisis, I don't know what does. You have to be extra cautious, you know, as you're traveling in this neighborhood because you just don't know what can randomly happen at any given time. Both those strap, ham- uh, strap hangers, rather, who were shot are going to be okay. Out to Long Island, a standoff there forcing a Long Island neighborhood nearby schools into an hours-long lockdown yesterday. After a man attacked a teenage girl in her home and then chased her outside, then barricaded himself inside the house. This was in Woodbury. It started at 9 a.m., but it went on all day. Here were the police. Completely naked, came running from the back of the house. So he was talking about the woman who came running out of the house naked. Completely naked, came running from the back of the house, chased by another male. Now trying, attempting to make conversation with him through a hostage negotiation team. Attempting to make sure that she is taken care of. That's our priority. Our priority at the residence to make sure that the subject 
is contained, and then when the, the time is right, we will make entry. Now, it was about 5 o'clock yesterday. Nassau County Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder says this 25-year-old who had barricaded himself in a home on Roseanne Street was arrested when heavily armed officers just stormed the house. Just decided he was not coming out, so we decided we're going in. And we go in, and he was placed under arrest. Yeah, so we don't know all the details past that. Uh, the woman is being checked out, and the man who barricaded himself, of course, arrested. Embattled Long Island Congressman George Santos says he will face an expulsion vote rather than resign his seat. If they want to send me home, if they think this was a fair process, if they think this is how it should be done, and if they're confident that this is a constitutional way of doing it, God bless their hearts. A third expulsion vote will take place this week after Congressman Robert Garcia, he's from California, introduced this resolution on the House floor yesterday. Uh, New York Congressman Dan Goldman says it's embarrassing that Santos has been in Congress for so long. It is. It should have moved uh, long ago based on his own admissions. He has no right to be here. And it is uh, actually a travesty that he has been here for 11 months. So he's facing, uh, Santos, 23 criminal charges in all. In a floor speech yesterday, he said that the vote undermines and underscores everything that's wrong with the chamber. To set the record straight and put this in the record, I will not be resigning. I ask that all my colleagues in the House consider and understand what this means for the future. So the vault on expulsion could come as early as this week. It may be today or tomorrow. Fellow Long Island Republican Congressman Nicola Loda, uh, Anthony D. Esposito, they've been on this uh, train for a while trying to get rid of Santos, and they say they're happy. It looks like it may happen now. Representative Santos must be held accountable to the highest standards of conduct in order to safeguard the public's faith in this institution. What I'll tell my colleagues over the next couple of days is vote yes on expulsion because we know all the facts and he does not need he does not deserve to be here expelling santos would require support from at least two-thirds of house members um they think they may have that now uh he would be just the sixth member santos of the house to be removed by his colleagues and only the third since the civil war so he becomes a historical figure which he might kind of like he likes the the cameras no two ways about it and then let's say he does get expelled like it sure looks like it's going to happen then becomes the question who will take uh, over after him more than a dozen candidates have set their sights on santos's seat some of the 16 candidates are pretty familiar names democrat tom swazi who used to represent that third congressional district he wants his hold seat back i think he says the voters uh, need somebody like him after santos i think it's been a real embarrassment uh it's been a, a it's been hurtful to the American system. Democrat Anna Kaplan, a former state senator from Port Washington, wants the job. Republican candidates include Mike Sapraconi. He's a retired NYPD detective. He's interesting because of all the candidates who want this job, he's raised the most money, something like a half a million dollars. And then there's Kellen Curry, a U.S. Air Force veteran and VP at J.P. Morgan, who has also filed for this gig. Uh, let's go down to D.C. New York City Comptroller Brand Land, uh, Brad Lander meeting with White House officials in D.C. yesterday to discuss the migrant crisis. The migrant crisis has been a sore spot between Lander and Mayor Adams. Uh, here he was yesterday. I, I'm happy he's going. You know, it, it took a little while. And it's probably $2.7 billion less than 
on what we should be asking for. Yeah, so uh, he's down there with hat in hand trying to get some money. Of course, lots of budget cuts here to pay for the migrants, 5% across the board. All city agencies, including the NYPD, Department of Sanitation, FDNY, city schools. And all citywide uh, electors should go because this is the number one issue that's facing the city right now. And we all should be on the same uh, chorus on what our city needs. Yeah, so far they've gotten little or almost nothing from the feds to help them with the migrant crisis. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. And here's Justin Ellis. Thank you, Noam Aladen. Start here on the hardwood. It was a 2-0 night for our local teams, both the Knicks and the Nets, emerging victorious in their respective NBA in-season tournament group play stage contests. At the Garden, Julius Randle had 25 points and 20 rebounds. R.J. Barrett scored 16 points. And the Knicks advanced to the knockout stage with a 115-91 victory over the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they missed their chance to win Group B. The Knicks, that is, when the Bucks beat the Miami Heat to finish unbeaten in pool play. But the Knicks uh, took the wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference by tiebreaker because of their point differential in the preliminary round. And now next Tuesday, they'll meet the East's number one seed in those aforementioned Milwaukee Bucks. In Brooklyn, Spencer Dinwiddie scored 23 points to lead the Brooklyn Nets to a 115-103 win over the Toronto Raptors to win their third straight, but they were unfortunately knocked out of the NBA in-season tournament in the process. Brooklyn entered the last day of tournament group play, needing to win by at least 15 points and for the Celtics to beat Chicago by less than 21 in order to clinch Group C and advance to the knockout round of the inaugural tournament. Clearly, they were unable to do so, making last night's win a bittersweet one for Brooklyn, I, know, I thought the idea was to kind of avoid all of these sort of intricate tiebreakers and stuff like that. I don't but even understand the whole tournament. Me I mean, either, me and neither. I'm an NBA fan. Right, you know? and, and this makes it even more complicated. And the fact that you have to go into all these point differentials and all that stuff does maybe tells you that it's not really as successful as people might think. I mean, it's getting very complicated now. You know... Uh, English soccer, European soccer, they do these tournaments, and they do them really well in the middle of seasons. Right. And people flock to these games because it's so exciting. This has done been done so poorly, nobody knows what's going on. No, I know, I know. But I mean, it's been happening for years over in Europe. So maybe, uh, you know, a few years down the road, uh, NBA fans will start to get used to uh, used to the maybe. process here. If you want to have an optimistic outlook on the, <laughs> on the whole thing. Also out of the NBA, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban has agreed to sell a majority stake in the NBA uh, franchise to Miriam Adelson, the wife of late casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, at a valuation of approximately... $3.5 billion. Cuban will retain him on already stake in the team and also preside over basketball operations, the report did say. He bought the team for $285 million in the year 2000, so it makes a big profit there. On the ice in Newark, the Devils and Islanders met head-to-head in a nail-biter, with New Jersey ultimately prevailing by a score of 5-4. to four. New York led 4-2 to two entering the third period before Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer scored to tie it. And then it was Curtis Lazar scored the winning goal with 23 seconds left to complete the three-goal comeback by the Devils in that third period. Tonight, the Rangers will be back on the ice at home, getting set to welcome in the Detroit Red Wings for a 7.30 p.m. puck drop at the Garden. Gnome, that's sports, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Let's get you up on the big stories of the morning. One of them is a breaking one. At least one person has died after a U.S. military Osprey aircraft with six on board crashed into the sea near an island off southern Japan this morning. A regional Coast Guard spokesperson confirming the plane crashed into the ocean near Yakushima. The Coast Guard says that uh, they had originally said eight people were on board this plane. They now say it was six. 
The Coast Guard confirming that one man was recovered from the sea unconscious, was not breathing. That unnamed crew member was later pronounced dead in the hospital. We don't have any more details really past that in terms of the status of the aircraft or about the rest of the military members who were on board or where this exact crash took place. Of course, as details come in to us, we will share them with you. A big day down in Georgia, the goodbye to former First Lady Rosalind Carter, who died last week at age 96. The tributes came from everywhere, including her son Carter, who spoke at the funeral service yesterday. My mother was the glue that held our family together through the ups and downs and thicks and thins of our family's politics. All the former living First Ladies were there. So you had Laura Bush, you had Hillary Clinton, you had Michelle Obama and Melania Trump all sitting in the front row. Uh, uh, President Clinton was there as well. And so was Jimmy Carter, who's now 99 years old. Of course, he had gone into hospice back in February. Uh, doesn't look fantastic, but who does at 99 years old? But just amazing that he was there. He was wheeled out in a wheelchair. Apparently, he wanted to be there. Um, uh, here was more from their son, Chip, yesterday. She told me something that I have used a thousand times since. She said, Chip, you can do anything for 20 minutes except hold your breath. The Carter family, a close-knit one. Jason Carter, one of the grandsons. We have been so enormously gratified by the love and support that we have felt from across the world. Uh, My grandmother doesn't need a eulogy. Her life was a sermon. Lots of uh, big-name politicians and politicos, reporters. Apparently, the Carter family was very friendly with former PBS news anchor Judy Woodruff, who told the story that it was hard to get to know Rosalind Carter when she first got to the White House. It may have taken about 40 years for that to happen. (laughs) But it had by the time she invited me to attend a luncheon in Washington where she was receiving an award for her work on caregiving. So you had the public service yesterday. Today, they'll have a private ceremony with family members. The Israeli government has received the list of 10 hostages to be released by Hamas at about noontime today. Their return to Israel will mark the sixth daily hostage release since the ceasefire agreement with the terror group went into effect back on November 24th. The hostage families have been notified. So a total of 60 Israeli women and children plus one Israeli man have been freed over the course of this initial four-day ceasefire and the first day of the extension, which was agreed to. That was yesterday. Uh, 17 people from Thailand, one Filipino, has also been released. The hostage families, the ones who've been fortunate enough to get their loved ones back, have been speaking out, saying they are celebrating the fact that they have them home. But, of course, they are thinking about all the other hostage families. Here's some relatives of four-year-old Abigail Idan. She's the only American to be released so far. It's believed 10 Americans are being held in Gaza. You know, as long as there are... People in Hamas captivity, young women who shouldn't be there for another moment, grandparents, fathers, sons, daughters, it's our work is not done. So Israel is due to release around 30 Palestinian detainees in exchange for these hostages today. Let's hear more from the hostage families. What I want people to understand is that these are real people. Abigail is a little girl. It could be anybody's little girl. Abigail Idan so far hasn't told the family a whole lot about what she went through, but she's only four years old. She came out, she was hungry. She, the food 
There was not enough food. There wasn't proper food for a child. Um, so what we know is that she, she was in the dark. They weren't in a place where they were able to run free and they were hostages. That hostage release, the one on day five, will expect it to happen in just a few hours from now. And, of course, the conflict there continues to play out here. New York City school officials preparing for a teacher's return to a Queens high school after pro-Palestinian students rioted inside the school building last week, upset that teacher had attended a pro-Israel rally. They, I guess, found a picture of her on social media at this rally. The school's... Deputy Chancellor Dan Weisberg says a safety plan is in place now at Hillcrest High in Jamaica after the chaos broke out. So this ninth grade teacher who is Jewish can come back to the school. We're going to make sure that teacher is back doing what she loves to do, teach kids, and that she is safe in doing so. And there are already plans being made to make sure she doesn't just come back and is safe, but is welcome. Yeah, so there are conflicting reports about what really happened here. The school system says the teacher was never near the demonstration, did not know anything about it until afterwards. But we have sources who say that is not true, that she was hiding from this and knew exactly what was going on. It is unfair the way uh, aspersions have been cast and broad brush criticisms have been made of students and staff and so forth. Uh, This is a great school that is going through a very difficult time. Uh, They are going to get through it, and we're going to help them through it. It is not an anti-Semitic school. These students are not anti-Semitic. It was unfortunate what happened, and the teacher is has been shooken up. The whole community is shooken up. It was very inappropriate in my sense, and the people that was trying to protest for Palestine, I feel like they were not trying to like go in a violent manner, rather in a peaceful manner. But the most surprising part of the story might be the school's union, the teachers' union, has not come out to defend this teacher, at least publicly so far. And finally, a uh, customer has filed a lawsuit against the fast casual chain Chopped, you know, the salad place, over a salad that she says contained a piece of a manager's finger. This was at their shop in Greenwich, Connecticut. This woman says she walked in and realized uh, as she was eating that she was chewing on a portion of a human finger that had been mixed into her salad somehow. According to the suit, a manager at the restaurant accidentally severed a piece of her left pointer finger while chopping up salad. That manager went to the hospital, but they didn't think to, I guess, throw out the salad that she had worked on already. So the Westchester County Health Department has, um, uh, I'm sorry, this took place in Mount Kisco. So the Westchester County Health Department says that they have fined this uh, restaurant, but now the woman who had to chew on somebody else's finger is looking for some monetary damages. My guess is she'll probably get them if this story is true.